We're going to be starting a new book. It's always good. We always like to start a new book, don't we? My daughter, she's an avid, avid reader, and she loves books. She loves starting new books. She's not always one to finish them, but she always loves starting them. Um, but yeah, so we have a new book this morning, and uh, it is actually the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. So it's a it's one of those books that there's a lot of a lot of interest in. There I say a lot of controversy around and often a lot of confusion as well, uh, given the nature of the book. Uh, but that's where we're going to be for the next number of weeks. We won't necessarily uh, be going through it line by line, uh, every jot and tittle as they say. Uh, <coughs> I don't think it's, it's a type of book where you can, you know, look at every, every single line uh, as, a, as a sort of a unique sentence apart from, from the bigger passage. Um, but yeah, we're going to be looking at the, at the book of Revelation. And I'm looking forward to it, or I was looking forward to it, shall I say, until I, I started doing a bit more research yesterday. And uh, the more I looked at it, the more my head started to scratch. Okay? So, um, being upfront with you, this is not a, um, an easy book. There's no doubt about that. It's not an easy book. Um, but it is a, a very important book in the Bible, so um, we do need to, to look at it. And I think it's, it's one of the books that probably are the whole area of end times, or what we call eschatology, is an area that probably we haven't looked at in a while. Um, in, in, in terms of the church here. I know in, in Calvary, the greater, wider Calvary, it's end times, it's, it's a very big song, very big subject, in fact. And it's you know, a lot of times been devoted towards it. And the key really is getting the right balance. So I just liken it to a, a, a car in a sense. You can have you know four wheels in the car and you want, you know, when you go for your NCT, you have to get them aligned and they have to be balanced. You don't want too much on one side because it affects the rest of the car. And I think in terms of theology, Christian theology, there's, there's different aspects, but you could argue there's kind of four main aspects. There's the Christology, which is obviously the study of Christ, his humanity and his divinity. There's, um, I can never pronounce it, it's the study of salvation anyway. Um, uh, the word it begins with an S. Which? Soterology. 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 I think that's how you pronounce it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, soterology, and then there's ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, and then there is eschatology, which is the study of the end times. Now, there's more ologies than that, right? But they're probably, if you like, four of the main ones that that, that the church uh, or or that theologians look at, and certainly where there's interest in, and. Just like you have your four wheels of the car, you need your, your you need some balance on on each of these, and perhaps we've neglected this in, in in the church, in our church. Although I would say Calvary Chapel as a whole, maybe it's gone the other way. Maybe it's got too much emphasis on it, but we're certainly trying to bring a bit of um, focus back on it um, over the next uh, number of weeks. And actually, I was. Uh, 
last night, uh, I, I, I was out in the rain, I got a, a call, uh, not on the door, it was one of my neighbours, and a um, lovely woman, but she had a problem with a car, basically, the, the, the wheel needs, needs to be changed. And uh, she said to me, can you, can you come and change it? And I said, no problem. And I hadn't changed a, a, a wheel for a number of years, so I was, <laughs> I was hoping I'd be up for it. And she subsequently said to me, well, I'd actually asked two other guys first. I didn't, I didn't feel it was you know, very special, um, but I can understand why she didn't ask me first. But anyway, Jinx and Reels went out and changed uh, the wheel of the car. And I was just thinking of, of, of it this morning in terms of the book of Revelation. Um, that this study may lead you to change some of your views on the end times. Because I know, I know some people would have some very definitive views, very clear views, some people very confused. Um, don't know what to think, especially about the book of Revelation. Some of you might have very clear views, and when I was getting the wheel off the, uh, off the car, the, uh, the nuts on them were really, really tight, and very hard, so you have to jump on the, you know, the lever to get it off. And some of you may have views that are really stuck in. No way, this, this, is, what it, this is what it means, and there's no change, right? And so, perhaps, this, uh, this study may require a bit of jumping jumping on the lever, um, and it may not. Uh, well, let's, let's, wait, let's wait and see. Um, but the other aspect is, when you're changing the wheel, you're not putting on a, a brand new, uh, you know, fully-fledged tire. It's usually a spare wheel, which kind of is good enough to get you so far, right? And this study, from the pulpit at least, it won't answer all the questions. It won't pretend to answer all the questions. But hopefully it will be good enough uh, to get you going in the right direction. And then if you want to invest time in a, in a full wheel, by all means go and do your research. And one of the aspects of this study will be, will be telling you, go and read you know, the chapters ahead. Go and do extra study on different areas. Um, of different views. But the other aspect, when you're getting a, a new, new tire, you don't want to get a tire that is out of kilter with, with the other tires. So you don't want to invest too heavily in it, okay? It's an aspect that we should, we should study. Um, and the, and the, the book itself says that you'd be blessed if you study and, and take heed of, of what's, what's in the book of Revelation. But you don't want to spend too much time in it. I'd love to get Pirelli tires for my, my car or Michelin tires, but you have to weigh up the investment with the return. Okay? So I would encourage you to do study outside of what, what we're, we're going to be uh, preaching here to complement it, because this is not, as I said, we are not you know, biblical scholars, um, but we do feel there is a, an onus on us to make sure that what you are learning and what you are understanding is, is safe and is sound. Because if it's not, it can cause problems on your, on your journey, so to speak. 
okay? So that's, a, that's another aspect just to bear in mind. If we're not gonna give all the answers, and, and I, the more I, I look into it, the more I feel we shouldn't necessarily give all the answers, okay? There, there are actually four different, you gotta look at this. There's at least, at least four different um, broad views on the book of, of Revelation. And I'm just going to read them up out here, just to give you a flavour, good overview. The first view of Revelation is the idealist view, or the spiritual view. This view uses the allegorical method to interpret the book of Revelation. The allegorical approach to Revelation was introduced by ancient church fathers, Oregon, and made prominent by Augustine. According to this view, the events of Revelation are not tied to specific historical events. The imagery of the book symbolically presents the ongoing struggle of the ages between God against Satan and good against evil. In this struggle, the saints are persecuted and martyred by the forces of evil that will one day receive their vindication. I'll just leave it at that for the moment. The preterist view is the second view. Preterist means past. And what that means, full preterists believe that all prophecies found in Revelation were actually fulfilled in AD 70. And that we are now living in the eternal state or the new heavens and the new earth. Partial preterists, not full preterists, believe that most of the prophecies of Revelation were fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem, but that chapters 20 to 22 point to the future events, such as the future resurrection of believers and the return of Christ to the earth. Partial preterists view full preterism, i.e., everything happened, now we're now in the eternal state, as heretical, since it denotes, or since it denies the second coming of Christ and teaches us an orthodox view of the resurrection. The historist view. The third view is called the historist, historicist approach. The view teaches that Revelation is a symbolic representation that presents the core of history from the apostle's life through to the end of the age. The symbols in the apocalypse correspond to events in the history of Western Europe, including various popes, the Protestant Reformation, the French Revolution, and rulers, rulers such as Charlemagne. Most interpreters place the events of their day in the latter chapters of Revelation. So we've got the idealist view, this sort of spiritual view that it's all just allegory. There's no real historic element to it. We've got the preterist view, which is all the prophecies were they were fulfilled before. Um, or by AD 70 when, when the temple was destroyed. And then you got the partial partial guys who partial preachers who say, well, most of the prophecies were filled, but then Revelation 20 to 22 is still yet to be fulfilled so, because Jesus has not come back yet. Then you have the historist view, which essentially sees Revelation as a, um, it's, it's predicting what happened in the future, but it actually, what's, most of the stuff has already happened in the last uh, uh, two, two millennia. And finally, we have 
the futurist view, which is I think the view most commonly held um, by sort of more conservative evangelicals, but not, not, not completely. And the futurist view teaches that the events of the Olivet Discourse, okay, that's when Jesus was talking to disciples on the Mount of Olives, and it's in Mark, Luke, and Matthew, about things that are going to, take, going to happen. Um, that these, and Revelation, that the Olivet Discourse and Revelation, in chapters 4 to, 20, 4 to 22, will occur in the future. Futurists divide the book of Revelation into three sections, uh, but I won't go into that. So, you can see there's a fair bit of disagreement among theologians um, as, as a different view. And then even within those views, there is disagreement, particularly even in the futurist um, camp. There, there is quite a, quite, a, quite a bit of disagreement in terms of when we, we, the rapture happens, do, do we escape tribulation, and then the whole aspect of millennium. So a lot of different views. But we're, I've changed in that wheel yesterday, and one of the key things was to find out where to put the jack. So if you ever change the wheel of a car, you know that there's a sort of a groove near the back of the wheel for the jack. And that's where you, you, you put the jack under and then you lift it. And there's, there's actually two, two little grooves, usually two little grooves, or two little kinks in, in, on the bottom of the car. If you put the jack up the middle of the car, the, the whole thing can collapse and you can wreck the car as well. Okay? So it's very important that you know where the jack, you put the jack when you're changing the wheel. And when we're looking at the book of Revelation, one of the really important things to know is when was the book of Revelation. Okay? And I think a common error uh, among especially evangelical Christians is to view everything about the book of Revelation in the light of the times that they're living in. Okay, so if you're living in the, the 19th century, you'd view it in, in, in that context. In living in the 20th century, especially the Second World War, you would view it in that context, etc., etc. And we've had a lot of books written that have tried to place the events of Revelation and associate them with things that are happening in the news. Okay? And obviously, given all the tragic events that are currently happening in Ukraine, given COVID, there's a lot going on at the moment, and there'll be no shortage of people who'll be trying to associate what's happening now with the Book of Revelation, specific symbols in the Book of Revelation. Which is not to say that some of those events do correspond broadly to, to what, what, what's spoken about in Revelation. But the point is that to understand Revelation best, 
you need to understand when it was written. Okay? That's the best way for any, if you're studying any book of the Bible, understand the context when it was written. Okay? So it was written towards the back. And when we have that, we can push up the jack and start to, to get a bit of uh, interpretation going. The second thing we need to do if we're changing a wheel is we need to know the dimensions of the wheel. Okay? There's no point going, changing, we're getting a new tire and it doesn't fit. Okay? And so we need to understand the type of literature, if you like, the type of book that Revelation is. And it is a type of literature called apocryphal literature. It comes as no surprise. When we think of another, word, another term for a Revelation is the apocalypse. An apocalypse does not mean um, you know, hellfire, damnation, and you know, disasters, all that sort of stuff, Armageddon. It doesn't mean that per se. What it actually means is an unveiling. Okay? So we get the revelation, it's the unveiling. The unveiling. It's revealing something. Okay. And at the time, in and around the time that this book was written, there was a lot was a, a tradition, a Jewish tradition, of a lot of apocalyptic literature. And what was key in this apocalyptic literature were symbols, <coughs> hidden codes, all that sort of stuff. Okay? And they, they usually conveyed a message that were understood by the readers that they were, it was designed for. It wasn't be understood by everybody, but it was definitely understood by those who were reading it. It was kind of a, a wink and a nod, you know, you, you put in a symbol that people understand it. Similarly, similarly with uh, apocalyptic literature, there also a lot of use of numbers. Okay. So with the book of Revelation, we have a lot of numbers, we have a lot of sevens, Seven being often represented as perfection, completeness. The earth, in the Old Testament, the earth is made in, in, in seven, seven days, what, six and resting on the seventh day, but you, you get, you get the, the meaning there. Seven was often seen as completeness or perfection. Okay, so we see a lot of sevens in, in this book. Um, a lot of different numbers, obviously, 666 is, is, is a famous one. Um, and a lot of things. We have the beasts, we have the seven trumpets, um, seven bowls, seven seals, um, the, um, the dragon, etc. Okay, so there's a lot of symbolic stuff here that should be treated in that way. It is symbolic. And there is a principle when you're, when you're looking at, at scripture um, to interpret it in the literal sense. That does not mean you interpret it literally. You, you interpret it in the sense that it is written. So if you're reading a historical book, you interpret it first and foremost historically. If you're reading a 
poetic literature like Song of Songs or, or Psalms, you read it and interpret it primarily in that sense. So when we look at the book of Revelation, even that it's apocryphal type literature, that is the, the method that we should primarily uh, understand, the lens through which we should primarily understand. Okay. So we mentioned knowing, trying to find out where the groove is, where the grooves are, you know, for the jack. It's very important. Unfortunately, and I found this last night when I was trying to, in the rain, and I had the torch with the, the phone, and it was kind of very hard to actually find where the actual, it was around here somewhere. You can't exactly find where it is. I got very wet doing it. But unfortunately, there isn't unanimous agreement when, when this book was written. There isn't even unanimous agreement as to who wrote it or to whom the revelation was. We know it was John, but there isn't even unanimous agreement that it was the Apostle John. Some people say it was uh, an elder John who was like a, an evangelist, but he wasn't the John that we all know. Most scholars, most scholars believe and agree that it was the Apostle John, but not all. So just give me that. In terms of the actual timing of this book, most scholars are in agreement that it was around 95, 96 AD, which was the time of Domitian, the Emperor Domitian, the Roman Emperor Domitian. And he was a persecutor of Christians. And that is the context in which most people see this book, that it was written at a time that Christians were being persecuted uh, throughout the Roman Empire, particularly here in, 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 in Asia. And based on that, a number of interpretations of the symbols are, 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 are made. There is a minority report on this that it wasn't written in 95, 96 AD or around that era, but actually uh, just before the fall of the, of the Temple of Jerusalem, which was in 70 AD. Everybody, every historian agrees, in terms of ancient history, nobody really disputes that the, the Temple of Jerusalem fell in 70 AD. That was around the time of Nero's reign. And uh, some minority believe that the, uh, the Book of Revelation was written prior, just prior to, well, maybe a few years prior, or maybe at the most 15, 20 years prior to the fall of Jerusalem, but probably two or, two or three years prior to the fall of Jerusalem, at the time of the Emperor Nero. Now, as I said, it's a minority view, but Nero as well. Um, didn't have much time for Christians. He, you know, he persecuted Christians. Now there's, there's much debate about the levels of persecution, the type of persecution by the two different emperors. Um, but just letting you know, there's two different views there. Okay, that's just on, on when it was written. Forget about all the stuff that actually in 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 the book itself. So you can you can see there's a lot of um, difference of opinion and. 
Ironically, a lot of the opinion is, seems to be extremely certain, which to me is a bit strange, given it's, it's hard to be certain about some of this stuff. Okay, just, there is genuine debate from, from very strong biblical scholars uh, and different, different points of view. And so that's a word of caution as, as we go into this, that the book of Revelation should be a blessing, talked about being a blessing to us. But it has often led to controversy and division amongst Christians. Okay. And the division is often about things, in my mind, that don't really matter. Okay, they're things that don't really matter. It's not that they're not important, but they don't really matter in the greater scheme of the Christian world. I'm not saying they're not important. If they weren't important, they wouldn't be there. But I'm saying relatively, they don't matter. Okay. So there's a lot of uh, division uh, that has been caused. And just, just a word of caution. You know, let's keep everything in proportion. Sometimes you could argue that that division is actually reflective, not of the ambiguity of the text, but about her own personal desires to be right about something, or there's a bit of pride in there. So we need to approach the book of Revelation with humility. It doesn't mean we say, oh, I'm not going to understand any of it. But we do need to approach it with humility. Just approach all scripture, all study, meditation of the Word of God with humility. I might have told one or two of you before that. I had uh, I was in work one day and I was having a I was having a bad day. So I went out, got myself a cup of coffee, went to a coffee shop, and I was sitting there and it was a really nice coffee shop. And I had all these books around, it's like a sort of mini library. You sit down, and this book caught my my eye. George Muller, George Muller, and I, I picked out the book, and it was George Muller. Some of you may know was a a amazing man, amazing man of God, Christian. He set up a ministry of orphanages at young people. He lived by faith, an amazing testimony. And he, um, this, this was the audience, this was his autobiography, essentially. And it was in this secular cafe. I always wanted to read this autobiography. So I picked it out and I opened it up, and I opened it, say, halfway through, through the book. And at the beginning of a chapter, and the first thing he said was, the only time George Muller ever fell out with another Christian, words to that effect, was when he had a disagreement with a man called uh, John Nelson Darby. Some of you may have heard his name, some may not. John Nelson Darby was actually an Irish clergyman, and he was famous where he became famous um, for essentially the rapture theology. Okay, the, the pre-tribulation rapture theology. He, he went over, he, they met in, in Ireland, they met in, in Power Sport in, in Wicklow, and then he, he went over to America and he popularized his um, view of Revelation and, and, and the end times and it was the pre-tribulation rapture. But George Muller was said that it was the only time you ever fell out I went in, it was, it was obvious, this theology. And uh, I really felt, because at the time I was in discussion with someone about, you know, aspects about the end time, and I really felt God was saying to me, do not let 
uh, this n times discussion become a source of division. Okay, and that's why personally I'm very slow to, to approach this subject. Don't let it become a source of division. It is not worth. Okay, so so we should not let um, this become a source of division. It should become a source of blessing. Ironically, the name of the cafe that uh, I went to was called Cafe Nero. So, <laughs> read into that what you will. <laughs> so, very briefly, very briefly, let's um, just look at the first few verses um, of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants things which would shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all the things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of his prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. The revelation of Jesus Christ. What is this book about? The revelation of Jesus Christ? Which God gave to him to show his servant things which must shortly take place. Many people would say that the book of Revelation is about the revelation of revealing Jesus Christ. Are they right? Munchie's Munchie sticking her head out there and sticking her neck out, so saying, saying, yes. Well, yes and no. If you read the verse, it is not the primary purpose of the book of Revelation, according to the verse. That the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. So it's important here just to get the grammar right. The Gospel of John is about who? Jesus. The revelation of Jesus does not mean that it is primarily about Jesus, although in many senses it is. And it, doesn't, it does not necessarily mean it is the revealing of Jesus, in, but in many ways it is. Although one could argue a lot of the revealing happened in the, in the prior verse. But certainly, there was a, a further revealing of Jesus in this book. But it is essentially a revelation, it is an unveiling of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ had this, it was like he had a prophecy, which God had given him. Okay, so God gave Jesus, God the Father gave Jesus the Son, this revelation of things which were going to take place. To show his servants of things which would shortly take, take place. So, primarily, it's about things that are going to take place. Or an unveiling of things that are going to take place. And here it says, which shall shortly take place. Okay? So that's another kind of words that we won't necessarily open now. But the point of it is, it's 
something that is going to take place, and in the book of Revelation, it says it's going to be shortly taking place. So, what does that shortly mean? Well, in a very literal sense, it means soon. How soon? How soon is it going to, is it going to take place? Um, that's that's a question. That's another question. Anyway. We just need to get that right first. The book is primarily about things that are going to take place that were revealed to Jesus by the Father. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant. So Jesus sent this prophecy via the angel to John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of his prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So again, we have this sense of something happening shortly. But remember, this book is not just about reading it. You don't get blessed for reading it. But you keep those things which are written in it. So the things that are written in this book, there are practical applications. I think one of the key things we would like to get out of this study is a practical application. Okay, not We don't just want that head knowledge about dates and times and persons and nations. We want a practical application today. It was written, as I said, toward the end of the first century. We're, we, you know, we're not 100% certain, but it was definitely written at a time of persecution. And it was written primarily to encourage the church at that time. Because they were under a lot of persecution. They had lost Paul. They had lost Peter main leader of the church. Rome was on the rise and was, was persecuting the Christians. And no doubt there was a lot of uncertainty and there was a lot of discouragement. There were many false teachers coming in. So there was a lot going on at the time. And this was written to encourage, exhort the church and and, and, and Gives them a clear understanding of things that were going to take place. But I think it was, there was more to it than that. But as with any book in the Bible, there was an immediate audience, but the Bible has lasted 2,000 years. So the Bible is still relevant to us today. So even if the Bible was written, or the book of Revelation was written particularly to this audience at the time, the church in Asia at the time, it is relevant to us as well today. Father, we thank you for your um, your word, Lord. We thank you for the book of Revelation. Lord, we do pray you'll help us uh, open uh, the eyes of our heart, Lord. We pray you give us humble hearts uh, as, Father, we seek um, your word, what you're saying to our church today. That we may receive a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Look forward to going through. Hopefully it won't be, we won't be over a year going in it. I think we should try to aim for maybe eight weeks or something. Get through it. But, um, and it will be interspersed with, we might deviate off it for, for a few weeks as well. Like we might, or the other week we might do a topical message. But if you do want to read in advance, start reading the book of Revelation and uh, yourself.